0: The idea really is very simple: that, that any advantage in a marketplace is temporary. Sure. Right? If you take the example of, of animals, mm. you have a pack of animals. Mm. The ones that run faster don't get eaten. Mm. So what happens then is you just have fast animals. Mm. Your advantage is gone. Yeah, sure. You know, so it that's is. that's that's how it goes. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to find a new advantage mm-hmm. all the time. Markets just remove mm-hmm. the advantage. They come.
1: Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolfe and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry, sharing their perspective and experience. It's about integrity, quality, and the future. For this conversation, we sat down with James Hoffman, co-founder of the Square Mile Coffee Roastery in London. We talked about Redbrook. We talked about entrepreneurship. We talked about what it takes to make it in the future as a coffee roastery. It was a truly inspiring session, and I'm really happy for the opportunity and that James gave us his time. Cool, so we're sitting here in uh, London. It's time for the London Coffee Festival. Uh, I'm very excited to have James Hoffman sitting here with me in an Airbnb um, somewhere in London. and We're going to start...
0: I'm going to start by saying happy birthday. Thank you very much. Because it's your tenth, tenth anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Which is it's amazing. It's pretty good. there has been a, a little run of them, you know. Like yeah. the Coffee Collective had theirs. Tim yeah. had theirs before. Yeah. Uh, that. So it's kind of that time of year. Coffee had theirs, obviously. You know, there's been like a little run of ten year. A lot of companies. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. How do you um, How do you feel? Uh, the boring answer is old. The the other answer is a mixed feeling, you know? Like, it, when you start, you don't really plan. I don't believe in 10-year plans. I don't think they're real. I believe in five-year plans. If anyone ever asks me for a five-year plan, then that's just a nonsense. Nobody, yeah. No one can plan that far. Sure. But, you know, you maybe dream about where you'll be in 10 years. And there's always bits where we far exceeded where we thought we'd be. Mm. And then there's bits where you're like, ah, oh, but what mm. if, you know, should we have done more? Should it be different? Should it be bigger, better, smarter, whatever it's going to be, you know, mm. like it's a, you can be proud and then at the same time, look back and be like, all right, where did we, where did we not nail this mm. quite right? Sure. You know? well, well, what was the original idea behind starting? The original idea behind starting was, was pretty simple. It was, um, I mean, both Annette and I had been working in, in training roles a yep. lot. She'd been doing the London School of Coffee and I'd been doing kind of Brewster training for an espresso machine company. And there's a point where London had nothing that much going on. It had Monmouth and it had Flat White, and yet 8 million people and just nothing good. And we wanted to bring something good to London um, because it just seemed so sad that this city that had this amazing coffee history was just so so boring. It was full of, like, chains. It was full of Starbucks and Costa Coffee and, like, uh, Cafe Nero and... People dismissed the English as they don't like good coffee. Um, and I think in our jobs we've done a lot of telling people what to do. Mm. This is how you do good coffee and I think there comes a point where you have to stop telling people how to do it and go and do it. Sure. Um, and we were going to open a, a, a like a cafe roastery at first. okay and we found a space uh, in Shoreditch nearby and then the world broke. That was like the 2008 financial crisis. Yep. So we never opened that cafe. We went and started roasting in a railway arch and just started wholesaling. Well, was
1: that railway. because it wasn't enough money to do both? Or was it because you thought you could, like business-wise at that time, a roastery would make more sense than a coffee shop?
0: We were going to roast in the coffee shop. Yeah. Um, and we had moderate expectations for how much we'd roast in a year and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, certainly didn't have enough money. Um that's pretty common and that's one of the big one of the big regrets in a funny sort of way is I think we had about half the money we probably should have had okay. um, and it, it's not that we'd be bigger now I think it would have just sucked less at times Yeah. Sure. that's the difference you know like there would have been just less less bad times or hard times or just unnecessarily hard times yeah. um, you know I'm very anti the kind of martyrdom of entrepreneurship that people worship the altar of where you work a hundred hour weeks mm-hmm. you sleep under your desk you can eat what instant ramen or whatever the kind of gross tech bro culture is yes. these days like that's just stupid mm. and you know unhealthy mm. um, and I'm not saying we work like that but to some extent we also did work like that at times yeah. and you just wouldn't have had to do that if you'd had a little bit more cash at the start mm. anyway I'm drifting off topic um, so yeah like uh, we still wanted to open a cafe we wanted to open a cafe for quite a long time um, but, but it was just easy to take a railway arch they were cheap they didn't care what you did they left you alone mm. um, no one really understood coffee roasting anymore there were so few roasters in London mm. certainly in central London that you know like you'd call um, to see what kind of emissions you would need and then you'd have to explain what coffee roasting was to people in order to get an answer out of them like it was just this weird random thing at that time And so, yeah, we wanted to bring coffee culture to London. It didn't have its own coffee culture. And I would argue it did in the 1600s, right? Like the 1650 through 1750, it has this boom, this whole coffee house thing happens. And that's a very London thing. The art, the science, the politics, the culture that happens inside them is very interesting, but it's very London. Mm. And that doesn't happen the same way in any any other city. And, and, you know, 10 years ago I looked at London and the coffee scene would be described as like the Americanized version of Italian coffee. Mm. So you had like your quick service restaurant, fast food style, giant cups of coffee. Mm. And then you had the old school, tons of Lavazza, tons of Illy, like the old school Italian. That was it. Right? And and neither were London. Yeah. And you'd argue now, London still doesn't have a distinct coffee culture. Because you can argue, okay. you can paint broad swathes, right? Yeah. Like you can paint... And and you get into trouble for it, but you could say there's a Scandinavian coffee culture, right? Like sure. you could say there's Australasian. People culture. say that definitely, yeah. right? This is American coffee culture, yeah, un- undoubtedly. This New York coffee culture that's quite different to uh, an LA coffee culture. Yeah, um, you know, German coffee culture is totally a thing. Mm. What's English coffee culture? Yeah, and it's still not there, right? It's mm. still this melting pot of everyone else's ideas, mm. and London in particular, being a, you know like a, a city full of everybody. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel that you
1: still, is that something you still want to fix? Like ten, year, 10 years later, do you want to fix that coffee identity
0: or is that less important to you now? I, I think um, it's important to pick battles that you have a chance of winning. Yeah. And you can't, you know, I think that those of us who started out and pushed coffee in London 10 years ago, eight, nine years ago, had an effect. Mm. A big effect. And, you know, London changed overnight and it yeah. became this sort of powerhouse of coffee consumption. And it's still a thriving copy culture, but it's not distinct yet. And I don't know if that's something you can necessarily influence meaningfully. Mm. In a small way, sure. But Mm. in a bigger way, I'm not so sure you you can. Mm. So no, I I, I don't think that's a battle worth fighting. I think there's too many other things worth worrying about that, that just come higher up the list than trying to force London to be something that it isn't. Yeah. So it's never going to be. Mm. How
1: was the uh, like the, the starting of process um, when, it, when it comes to the company? Did it take a long time before you found the, the core thing, what you wanted to do? Or was that something that came right from the start? Because when I started April, I, had, I definitely feel that one year later now, I have a lot more identity or idea about where I want to take it. Um, than looking back one year ago, right? So was that a process for you guys, or were you always very, very clear with...
0: No, I think we were pretty clear, and the absence of real competition made it easier to define ourselves, right? Like, we we came in with certain tenets around what we did. We were going to be super hard on transparency. and We weren't, like, the first company to put the blend on the bag, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But we were probably the first in the UK to be doing it all the time. I know the Coffee collectors were doing it and Tim was doing it and yeah. were, but it was just part of a movement of like, no, no, we should, we should be transparent. Mm. And on top of that, we pushed hard on seasonality in a way that no one was really doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And we, we pushed the message that, no, our espresso blend is not consistent. It's going to change all the time. All right. And it all did. Right. And yeah. people responded really well to that idea of diversity and change. Which was a different message than had been sort of communicated before. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you know, inevitably, quality was a part of it. Where we felt that you know, while Monmouth had been buying amazing coffees for a long time, they just, um, you know, as had London companies like Hasbeen or James Gordon Coffee were like buying great coffees. Yeah. There were still only really a handful of companies. Union, obviously, in London too. In such a big market, you know, it just it would you could be about quality and, and define yourself that way. Today you can't define yourself by saying you're mm. about quality. Everyone's about quality, That's right? So that ability to define yourself is gone, it's lost yeah. to a different time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we knew that bit. We knew how we wanted things to look and feel. Um, and I think we were very strongly influenced by both having spent a lot of time in different countries and with different people and yeah. ha- having quite an international coffee community to tap into. Mm. Um, I think that they were strongly influential to us. Um, and so yeah that bit we knew I think for me it's easier for me to speak to my personal experience here like once we once we kind of got going the realisation dawned that I sure had won a British Championship which was you know a thing but I knew next to nothing about running a business that that sold coffee Mm. you know I could pull a nice shot of coffee I could teach someone else to do the same thing Mm. you know but that's a world away from a business that successfully sells coffee and survives and sustains and grows and hires people. And when you don't have much money, your margin of error is very small. Um, So that became a kind of obsession for me quite early on that I wanted to remain very interested in coffee, but at the same time really had to work to become... Basically, you know, conversant, if not fluent, in in the language of business and sustainable business.
1: Mm. And and how did you do that? Like, how do you, did you have any background in business before this whole coffee
0: thing? No, I read a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of the books. I've let go now because, you know, I I like books. And you'd have this sort of shelf of, like, cheesy business books. And be like, I don't need people to see that I've read all of these. So I I read a ton. I was lucky that my stepfather is, like, a classic old-school entrepreneur, kind of, like, left school at 17 with no qualifications and then built, like, an empire. Um, And so he was instructive in that he would call me an idiot often And point out things that I wasn't paying attention to and would want to see numbers. So I had to produce numbers for somebody who'd be like, that's not very good. And one of the great great challenges, right, is that business is broadly lonely. Mm. And it's lonely because it's hard to say to someone else, am I doing well? Mm. Right? Like if you own a business, it's really hard to go to a competitor and be like, hey, I made this much money last year. Did, did this go well? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, so you can't, you can't ask those questions. Yeah. It's very isolating. Yeah. And so no one will really tell you how much money to make, yeah. right? Uh, you know, It becomes this weird sort of like ethical question, like how much money should you make? As if making less money makes you a better person because you're not being evil, where I'd argue the exact Definitely, opposite. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd argue that not making money is the ethically dubious thing to do. Um, I'll skip that for now. But, it, you know, right. it would be years before people in coffee would talk to me and give me yeah. an answer, right? Like, okay. Well, my stepdad would give me an answer. But yeah, that, sure. he was his different businesses, yeah, sort yeah. of. hard to
1: relate to,
0: Right. And then one day, I was in Chicago, and um, I had breakfast with Stephen Marcy, who was working in Intelligentsia, with yep. uh, the CEO of the time, a guy called Rob Buona, okay. who'd come in to be co-CEO with Doug at the time, and just sort of, like, he was a he was a Chicago... Shark. Like mm. I like the guy I've met him one time, but but you definitely know you're sitting opposite someone who with this my blood in the water, you, yeah. you're gone. You're yeah, just yeah. gone. Like it just you're, you're you know, yeah. And I was like, no one will say how much money to make. And he was like, 20%. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, twenty percent. I'm like, I, wait, that's that's he's like, absolutely. Oh. Any any less than that? what's the point Yeah. any more than that mm, you're probably greedy and mm-hmm. someone can come in under you take your business mm-hmm. 20% and I was like oh that's an answer you know which is interesting because then you can sort of set a benchmark and be like alright uh, I, mean, I see where our business is, is now yeah, I see sure. what we're doing now yeah. if that's the goal it has to change mm-hmm. right like how do we? How do you get to that which is much much easier than being like hey I made 14% last year Yeah. how do I make 15 but how do I make 20 mm. like well, okay Mm. If that's what we're supposed to do, you know what I mean. And even if that's not the right number, and I would argue that number is no longer true. I would argue that number in a hyper-competitive market isn't true, for sure. Yeah. Unless you have like a defensible, protectable technology in your product portfolio. Like mm-hmm. if you're Net, if you're Nespresso before you, the patent expires, yeah. Yeah, yeah, make all the money you want because no one's coming after you because yeah. they can't. It's protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're a coffee roaster, if you're making twenty percent now as a mm. coffee roaster. You're probably vulnerable, yeah, to a hungry, quality-focused, hungry business that'll take fifteen and still have a good For year, sure. right? Definitely. But but Definitely. they've come at you. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think that 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 comes and goes at different yeah. times. You know, and, I think and as that, you
1: as you mentioned as well, like the the climate has changed tremendously since since you guys started. And how right. have you going through that journey of Scrum, What have you done? Is there any, anything specific during those years that you have done to kind of hedge yourself towards those changes to improve or have you been following the market in that sense or have you been trying to push, uh, basically go down your own path, not worrying so much about what the market is doing? It's a good question. Um, I mean, there's a
0: few bits there. Yeah. I think we've we've pretty much tried to forge our own path. Mm. Um, I think that any time we felt like we followed, we've been annoyed about it. Yeah. And at the same time, I think over the years, arrogantly, or you know, we feel like we've been copied occasionally, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And we got really upset about that. Most likely true, yeah. You know, I said we, we used to do a thing called seasonal espresso, right? It was like seasonal, it was like spring espresso, yeah. summer espresso, yeah. autumn espresso. Um, we thought that was cool at the start, and then I, I walked through London in like 2010 and I walked past. Five shops selling spring espresso blends mm-hmm. from five different roasters. And I was like, okay. It was summer espresso, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is dead now. Mm-hmm. Like this this point of differentiation is dead. Yep. Um and, and at that time I was I was angry about it because I felt like that was our thing and people took it. And I don't think it's necessarily true, I don't think you know Christmas blends have existed for years. Like true. it's not truly a new idea anyway. Yeah. Um and then that evolution of thought changed a little bit and we felt that being copied if that happened was was good because it was a validation of an idea it's also showing you're doing something right you know? right yeah, of course. and then that changed again into we're not taking enough risks right if mm-hmm. people are willing to copy you immediately mm-hmm. that was not a risky play right like you've been that was a safe yeah, sure. innovation right yeah. so what you really want to do is hunt out the thing that's like way over there everyone's mm-hmm. like nah 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 good luck because then you get a head start right? if it goes well you just have a little head start yeah. there's a book called The Red Queen which is, which is sort of about Alice in Wonderland but also evolution and, and it, the idea really is very simple that, that any advantage in a marketplace is temporary Sure. right If you take the example of, of animals mm. you have a pack of animals mm. the ones that run faster don't get eaten mm. So what happens then is you just have fast animals mm. your advantage is gone yeah sure. you know so you that's faster, that's, yeah. that's how it goes right? You mm. need to find a new advantage mm. all the time markets just remove advantage they copy
1: So how do you how do you do that because you that, for me that sounds relatively easy but the challenge here is that, and what I see is that once you gain success in something, yeah. it's so hard for you to lead that path because you sure. think that that will continue to to generate some kind of success right so very few people are able to both as, as individuals but but definitely as a company to reinvent that image right yeah and leave something successful behind you kind of push forward is that a, has that been an easy thing for you guys or has that been is that a hard process to go through that like dumping the seasonal espresso
0: right right I think it felt at the time risky yeah and intellectually it felt right and in your gut it just feels scary okay but you you know it's this brain so i us say heart but like brain. brain versus gut and the gut's just like oh, I don't know. okay uh, everything's okay yeah. you know, don't walk the boat um but i don't know like uh my feeling on on that stuff changes all the time um and you know i, I think that over time, you begin to accept what's worth, what's worth worrying right. about, what's worth fighting against, mm. and then you, once you accept that, not everything is worth fighting against, right? Mm. That, that, you know, you can yell at the sea, but it's still going to keep running in at you. Sure. Um, fine, work with it. You know what I mean? Like, um, right now, hyper competition in a marketplace drives people out of business. Yeah. Right. That means as a wholesaler of two cafes, that's bad news because those yeah. I mean, customers of mine could go out of business. Sure. It means that I could be forced out of business by competition. Yeah. Um, but I can accept the way the market is working. And I can accept the dynamics within this market. I can fight it yeah. or I can work with it. Yeah. And, and that's you know trying to work out what's worth fighting and what's worth just going with the flow. That's, that's hard, but that's what I think we talk about a lot. Yeah. these days you know what I mean is there, is there
1: any specific because uh, we, we talk about that a lot now as well is there any specific battles over the years that you are that you have felt have been really important for you that you just couldn't step away from both like business wise or, or coffee in that sense
0: it's a good question probably um, I feel like we yeah. I'll think about it. I'll circle back if I give, yeah, give sure. you like a good answer. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I'm i often frustrated because I feel like you want a culture where failure is acceptable as an outcome under certain conditions, right? Like, because yeah. you need risk. Yeah. And yet it's still very hard to create anything other than a risk-averse culture. Sure. Right? And, and so... You know, as I think about this stuff, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out times when we were sufficiently risk averse, mm. or sorry, pro-risk, even to just have a big gamble and, mm. and you know have it go one way or the other. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about that. I don't have a neat answer for you in that. Point. Yeah,
1: for sure. We'll, we'll come back to that later. Sure. On on the subject of the blends, and also to some extent, um, kind of what we're talking about now as well. Like we we need to talk about red brick mm-hmm. uh, and sweet like, shop, sure. which is basically the I think Redbrick, It would be fair to say is probably the strongest espresso product out there in the world in terms of branding or identity. At least one of them. I certainly don't get to say that.
0: Um, I, think, I don't. Think, I don't know.
1: Uh, I think if you look at the European coffee culture, and uh, you know, you would talk to a consumer that normally goes to a coffee shop anywhere, and you yeah. say Brick, they're going to be like, "Yeah, that's a square one espresso." I'm
0: pretty well, that's, sure. That's nice to hear. Yeah, it's um it's an interesting like you know there's lines i have to draw here because i i can't speak as a buyer because i'm not a buyer right sure. and i can't speak as a roaster because i'm not a roaster sure. i can speak to to sort of what we're trying to do with it and, and how it fits into how it's ultimately consumed i mm-hmm. guess you know what i mean because yeah. um, i can't pretend that I think creating espresso blend is is, is is interesting and what you're trying to achieve with it is, is definitely a thing. But at the same time, I think you have to be reasonably realistic about who's drinking it, right? And mm. how they're drinking it. Mm. There are people who are drinking it as black coffee. Sure. Espresso, Americano. Americano. Their, their interactions with it are notably different to Absolutely. someone who drinks a flat white or a lot. Absolutely. Right? And I think that it allows you to... To be a little bit honest about certain aspects of it, Mm. right? Like, we want diversity of flavor, we Mm. want those flavors to change throughout the year. Mm. But that those variations in flavor do not particularly survive eight ounces of milk, Mm. right? Like, the fact that it is good coffee, Mm. well grown, well processed, well roasted, well brewed, survives Mm. that much milk. Mm. But, but, Terroir gets squashed. Variety gets squashed by milk. It just does, mm. and so you know you you want to build a blend that is always sweet, yeah, because the, that is the universal preference, for sure, right? Like yeah. variants of bitterness, variants of acidity. Everyone likes sweet. No one mm. is mad if it is pleasantly, naturally sweet. Not mm. sugary sweet, but like coffee sweet. Yeah. And then, you know, for black copy, that's a different deal. And that can, you know, your, your variance, your flow can sort of happen and there's sort of room to move and change and, and play with it there. Um, and it's it's trying to, you know, accept that there are a number of pressures on that product. You know, mm. like price is a pressure. Sure. It's, it's our biggest selling thing, you know. Yeah. Um, we produce more of that than anything else by an order of magnitude. Yeah. Right? Like we, mm. if we do two tons of red brick a week... Mm. We don't do... We maybe do 200 kilos of, of decaf, right? Or maybe do 200 kilos of sweet mm. shop or something like that, right? But Red Brick is one order of magnitude bigger yeah. than any yeah, other yeah, product, so right? It's, it's, which is good and it gives you buying power, mm-hmm. which allows you to meet, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's... it's There are two customers for it. There's a coffee shop yeah, who needs to make money yeah. and have a consistent product that is easy to extract and dial in. Sure. And then there's customers who yeah. are buying that product, you know, mm. having had it remade and they want taste and they want satisfaction and they want, you know, something that they know they enjoy and that they reliably enjoy. Mm. So, you know, meeting needs is a, is a kind of interesting thing. And I think it's easy to get hung up on meeting the needs of, of cafe owners who at different times in their careers will probably look at their coffee offering through different lenses. You know what I mean? When they open, they may be totally taste driven by yeah. the time they're five years into business, they're going to do something else. They may be thinking about it from a cost, from a wastage, for, excuse me, yeah. from um, all of those perspectives, because, yeah. you know, they're, 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 their focus changes through time. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really interesting challenge for us to, to make that product. Yeah, and yeah. at some point we have to kill it. Yeah, to what that, you're talking about because, uh,
1: you know, is there any uh, anxiety that comes with that as well? right? Because your, your company is basically, or his grandma is, is, you know, hooked up on this one product to some extent, mm-hmm. right? So if, if, people would decide that tomorrow no more red brick um, which obviously they won't but you know let's say that will happen well what is the what's the plan what's the next step there right
0: well it depends why right like yeah, sure. if, you know if the, if the rejection of blends happens which uh, you know if anything we're going the other way now right. like the pendulum is swinging back towards blends Yeah, I would anticipate seeing more specialty roasters do more blends again mm, soon for sure um, that's the trend we're seeing as well right very
1: slowly but it's definitely coming
0: no, it's uh, you know that's you know, it's 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 like a pendulum. It's all like a pendulum. Yeah. You know, and it moves backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And where we are now as an industry, in many ways, we've been there before, yeah, sure. decades earlier. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. that. We're not the first to go hard on single origins. You know what I mean? We're not the first to go hard on all this sort of stuff. If you speak to you know the the sort of older generation, especially coffee, mm. it's like yeah, 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 we we know. Yeah, you sure. Know. Yeah, and yeah, then we do blends, and yeah. then we'll react, and you know, yeah. um, so yeah I think I think adaptation is the upside I suppose of how we work which is you know try and carry minimal stock and Mm. be lean and all of that kind of Mm. stuff Mm. would mean that if that product demand died off yeah we might have 20 or 30 tons of product to freak out about Mm. but at the same time it's not like we've contracted out 100 to 200 tons of product so swings and roundabouts I guess Mm. but I don't know Uh, I mean at some point we have to change the name yeah Right, like that's, there's a thing that we will do at some yeah, point, sure. um, which you technically already have done once as well, right? How do you from mean? from Cesium right. to to, to Redbrick, right? um, and you know names are hard, yeah. but they're also not that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, people accept them pretty quickly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. uh, you can you can obsess over them for a long time, and, and yeah. I don't think while I'm pro brand as an idea, and I believe they're important. I, I just don't think that the, the right product name is going to make or break mm. the right product you know what I mean like mm. a, you, you can handicap a product with a terrible name mm. and you can advantage it but it's not going to live or die on the strength of its name sure. um, so yeah that that at some point we'll, we'll get rid of that mm. um, I don't know when maybe in a year maybe less maybe more I think we've talked about it often yeah Um and I think we'd be more open to do it if we felt we had a name or an idea to replace it that we felt more passionate about than what sure. we do right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How has it
1: been growing? Because what I see today with a lot of the roasteries that are starting or roastery that has been started in the last like let's say let's say five years. Yeah. Almost all of them are doing that with a coffee shop. Yeah. To some extent. Like that's that's obviously the new trend. Which is basically or probably based on the fact that it's getting harder to sell coffee harder to make money. So we're trying to be our own biggest client in that sense, right? Is that, how have you been thinking about that over the last 10 years? Like, have there been times where it's like, let's open up 10 coffee shops because we need to, you know, secure this and make sure that we have someone to sell to or?
0: I think we've always, so we obviously wanted a cafe at the start. Yeah. And I think that um, a large part of that was probably naivety. Mm. I don't think we knew what we wanted really. Mm. And By the time that that became possible again, Um, Penn University came up and actually around the time we did Penn University we almost signed on another space to do a permanent cafe in there okay, which yeah. fell through yes. now like a bar and me shop which is fine um, and Penn University was was interesting because that was broadly successful yep. and extremely painful mm. uh, to work in that space and so we learned a lot of what we didn't like mm. and I think that I know enough now about the business of wholesale coffee roasting to know or to have known back then how much I didn't know mm. about the business of running a great retail space. Yeah. Right. And th- there are people who have retail in their blood. Yeah. Colin Harmon, I think, is an example. Like, he just loves, he sure. loves retail. He, he just loves, selling, loves yeah. retail. Yeah. Um, and I I think the, the controlling part of me would just freak out yep. at the idea of 10 shops, 20 shops. i poor. no, mm. like, just, I can't, No. Um, obviously now we have kind of a cafe but the, the, when uh, Jeremy stepped away from Proof Rock, yes, we stepped in um, and we're now kind of like a, Gwilym's still involved and mm. the other founder Klaus is still involved but um, we're the sort of primary people behind Proof Rock now mm. and you know that's exciting for us once we've kind of got our feet under the table yeah. there which I think we have now and we you know, understand what it is and I think it, now that that's going to be easier to make the changes we want to make and, and, and have it move forward and progress yeah. as a business too. But at the same time, it'll stay as proof of for now. It's not necessarily about it becoming a square mile space. I think yeah. it does its thing that, and yeah, I think yeah, it serves sure. a valuable role in London. Yeah. And I would just like to see it do that better. Mm. You know what I mean? I just want to see it perform better, have its team grow and develop mm. um, and have it grow and develop. Mm. But um, the business of running a coffee shop is... Immensely difficult. Yeah. It's hugely time-consuming, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I look at opportunity cost. I guess so, you know, people like Scott Rao would be like, "Why haven't you got a cafe shop mm. open a cafe?" And I would look at the amount of money it would take for us to open the cafe we wanted to open. Yeah, and I'd be like, "All right, if I put this money into a cafe, how much will I get back, and when? Mm. If I put this money into something else?" how much will I get back and wait? Like what will allow us as a company to do more, Mm. to grow more effectively? Not necessarily bigger, but grow better in Mm. a a way, right? And for me, the answer very rarely was open a cafe. That's the best use of 200 grand right now is to open a cafe. And, you know, you could always argue that that could have gone to a green coffee. It could have gone to another roasting Mm. machine. It could have gone to formful and seal. It could have gone to other things that would have a stronger return Yep. both in terms of capital as well as just pleasure mm. yeah, for, for right. the, within the company yeah. um, and so that's why we stayed away for a long time and then Proofrock was just a sort of perfect opportunity mm. um, and so I think we're excited about it but it's you know it's, it's been a period of, of a lot of change and growth at Square Mile, and mm. you know it's companies grow in steps I yep. was taught this quite young that, that companies don't grow in nice neat linear lines no. you grow in a step and there's like a painful period of growth mm-hmm. where everything sucks mm-hmm. and then you recover from it sufficiently to grow again. But it, 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 it's, it's stepped. Yeah. Uh, and so we've just gone through a step. Uh, mm-hmm. And now it's a case of recovery and then we'll grow again in that the sort of next step and the next step. Mm. But um, yeah, the slow, steady, incremental, Yeah, I don't think that really exists. It exists if you look close enough or far away enough, but realistically it doesn't ever feel like that.
1: No, and I don't think it should either, right? like uh, that's an indication that you're not working hard enough to make a change or smart enough uh, in that sense right so you um that's not how how one would want the company to progress right yeah but what I see is there I'm very curious when people start companies um did you start or did you guys start with an end goal in mind as in like I want to not necessarily selling but it could be you know we want to grow up to here and then I'm kind of done and you know um you guys are still young, you can do a lot of stuff in life for you.
0: sure. I think uh, when we started, the goal was to get to two million in revenue in the first five years. Mm. That's as far as, far as we, we got. Mm. That was the giant master plan. Mm. Um, we pretty much got there, I think we did. Yeah. Um, mm. But beyond yeah. that, there wasn't anything. It wasn't like, and then sell it, right? Yeah. Or, and then I don't know what. Like, that was just a, from, you know, go back to year dot, right at the beginning what do we want to do? Ah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that seems achievable as a yeah. goal. Um, outside of that, I think just this, this really interesting moment that when you start something very quickly, I'm sure you know this, you are consumed by having it survive, mm. right? Like you you just, it needs to go. Like yeah. and you pour yourself into making this thing happen mm. And, you know, you know that most businesses fail in the first year or two. Very few survive to yeah. five years, right? Yeah. But then you get to five years mm. and you're like, oh, we survived. Yeah. Uh, what now? Yeah. Right? And yeah. there's that, that moment where, you know, for, for certainly the first five years, it was just like, we just need to just keep mm. the momentum. Just keep the wheels turning. Mm. Um, just keep moving forwards. And then I think you get a little bit of breathing room sometimes. And it can provoke... Enormous existential crises. Yeah, you know, like what am I doing? Yeah, What's yeah, the sure. point of this thing? Yeah, yeah. What do I want? What does everyone yeah. want? What do you want? I don't yeah. know. Uh, the idea of
1: choice. Yeah, it's terrifying, right? Like how how are you separating? Because I think this this is very interesting. How do you how are you separating? Uh, you know, it's, it's in the end of the day we, we start a company because we want something, right? Sure. But then all of a sudden you start a, a company, right? And yeah. then it's also about what the company wants, right? Two different things how have you been been working with kind of separating that can can you separate that or is is Square Mile still kind of very much what you guys
0: want it to be or is it a separate entity with its own kind of life that's a good question I think you have to separate the immediacy of needs right like what you need now Mm. versus what you need in five years Mm. because if I think about what I need right now um, and that becomes the mission of the company that's Mm. great it's a very poor direction mm. right because mm. that's very short term I might do things that that would potentially or we might do things that might suck for, for now mm. because in five years time that's that's where we want to be and you have to sure. you have to have a bit that's not about what you want now yeah. you don't get what you want now yeah. because you want the thing down the line yeah we're terrible i mean humans are terrible long term thinkers mm. we're very poor medium term thinkers mm. um but that's the goal you know and and, and it's it's often this kind of... There was an election in this country uh, three years ago, four years ago? I don't remember now. Maybe four years ago. And um, it was when we went to a majority conservative government, right? And um, if I looked at that election from a short-term or very personal perspective, yeah. right, I would say I should vote conservative because as a business owner and as a homeowner, I'm likely to become wealthier from them being in government, right? I will pay less taxes, yeah, and um, my house value will be protected. They mm. want to make sure that homeowners, you know, they're very pro that. So, from a from a perspective that is purely selfish, mm. in the short term, I should vote conservative. Yeah, but if I if I did that, well, rental prices prices go up, nice. taxes on people who earn less go up. So, the people who work in Square Mile are punished, sure, right, by the decision that benefits me in the short term. Yeah, that's a very stupid decision. For the for the longevity of a company, right? Yeah. Like I think conservative governments in this country are a bad thing mm-hmm. for the long term sort of like health of businesses like yeah, Square sure. Mile and for the health and happiness of its employees. Yeah. Right. So while in the short term my vote uh, for a Labour government might, if they'd gotten in, incurred me a higher tax rate and mm. short term pain. Yeah. Sure. The company may have flourished, but the staff may have, the employees, the team may have flourished mm. in that environment more. Mm. Uh, and that would be a, a longer term win mm. for everybody. Yeah, yeah, right? Definitely. So that's the sort of, those are those moments of decision where like, well, do I want just what's neat and good for me now? Or mm. am I willing to endure a bit of pain for something better down the line? Yeah. So that's, I think, an example of times where you have to think about your interests versus businesses' interests. Does that answer the question? To, to some extent, for sure. I think and it's, it's, and
1: it's a question I ask a lot when uh, throughout this podcast as well, and in, uh, every one of you have very different answers, which I think is very interesting. But um, let's transition a bit from 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 square into kind of you. Yeah. Because you do a crazy amount of different stuff.
0: Perhaps too many things. Perhaps too many things. Sure. Can you do too many things? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh god! Yeah. Uh, I have done too many things. Mm. Um, I've been terrible at saying no, and I still still struggle with it. Yeah. It's this embarrassing, competitive side of me.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that is there is there any of your kind of your your own products that you feel that you want to talk a bit about?
0: Um, Books, sure. presentations, subjects. It's good. It's good. It's a good question. I I feel like I'm trimming back a little bit right now. Mm. Um, like I'm working on a totally non-coffee thing but it's very early stages so something about that um, I think the thing that I've enjoyed most is is probably the, the having written online for mm. like what am I now 14 years maybe this mm. year mm. coming up to 14 years you know I, I, I kind of grew an audience and that, was, that took a long time and a lot of work and then the, you know in the last two years the realisation is that no one reads blogs anymore yeah you know what I mean? like it's yeah. that, that's sort of over and I you know I wrote I wrote a sort of really thoughtful I tried to be thoughtful piece on my takeaway cups mm. and in like I don't know what like, like uh, three months 6,000 people read it mm. and then I made a video uh, about paper cups yeah and in one month, six thousand people watched it, right? And uh, I have a you know I have a tiny community and audience in that space. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And so uh, I think that the sort of the, the pull of video has been there's really no way to avoid the fact that this is the current communication method. If you want to share, if you want to interact, mm. then then you have to be conversant in video now because. Mm. Being able to write is uh, you know something I still want to work on and, yeah, and improve. Yeah. And and you know the Atlas has been very rewarding as a project that way. Mm. You know that I think I learned to write through writing a blog for that long, mm. so that when I had to do a proper grown up writing project, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was sort of good enough yeah. to get to get where I needed to go. Um, and so video right now for me is a, a thing I really enjoy, and it's about right now it's about going through the process of being good enough and. Uh, it's this really annoying feeling where, you know, the, the human arrogance, you watch a video and you're like, I can do that. Mm. And then you make a thing and you watch it back and you're like, this sucks. This isn't very good. Yep. And then you're like, well, why would it be good? You have no training in video, right? You're self-taught. You've been doing it as like a little hobby for like a year. What yep. makes you think you should be good at this, you arrogant fool? Uh, so I have this constant frustration because I like video but I know I suck mm. but I really don't want to suck mm. I really want to be better mm. but I hate that I'm not very good
1: mm. um, does that make you uh, like are you are you fine with with, with not being very good then or is that mm. a motivation Right. I hate it I hate it I just
0: and I don't I've never been I would never claim to have been really great at any one thing like mm. I've always been a little bit of a sort of mm. reasonable at stuff mm. I get to sort of competent sure. but never excellent Why? why not um, I think I lack discipline and an attention span um, um, and you know may, doing too many things probably yeah. you know like I could definitely be a better writer mm. god I could be so much better uh, and I'm you know the moment I try and write something that isn't a blog post about coffee or some, you know like the, my my lack of writing skill just mm. very apparent and painful mm. um, but the diminishing return of the effort to get better you know what I mean for what i use right writing yeah, for, sure. the, the, the returns just haven't been yeah, there so you, you you aim to get to competent mm. and where it becomes a tool and a toolbox to use to accomplish a goal mm. um, so that's kind of how I feel I'm a long way from competent with video mm. but I would like to be mm. uh, and the same thing with like, stuff like podcasts Like I'm, mm. I'm itching to do podcasts again yeah sure Um but then you know the podcast that I you know am interested in. I'm fully aware I can't make. I just don't have the skill. I don't mm. have the technical skill. I don't have the training. Mm. I don't think that way. Mm. And I, it would be a hot mess if I tried to, to do what I wanted to do straight off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, I'd love to do narrative style arc stuff, like mm-hmm. right? the NPR style things mm-hmm. where you answer a question and you speak from people and you stitch yep. together a story, an episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't do it. Mm. I, I, I know I can't, but I really want to. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to think through the other projects at the moment that I have that I can talk about or should talk about. Um, there there will be another atlas Amazing. at some point. Okay. What's that the difference
1: be. between uh, the new one and
0: the the old one? Uh, it will have more countries. More countries. And up to date stats, which is not yep. that much, and a few little. You know, I made mistakes in yeah, the first one. Of. Um, not too many. I really had... I fully expected it to be savaged. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I worked yeah, yeah, really hard sure. on it, and I was still like... Mm. Like, I sent a copy to Tom Owens at Sweet Maria's, mm. and uh, he had one criticism. Mm. And I was like, that... I, I felt like I got off really lightly. Yeah, yeah if, sure. if he reads it, yeah. and is like, this is acceptable, mm. that's like an enormous win to me. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? Like, he's the most plagiarized writer in coffee. Like, yes. he, he, his. If you Google any sentence from, from Sweet Maria's website, yeah, you will find... Yeah. 50 websites just ripping it. Yeah, off.
1: definitely I think um, all of us have been on you know, we we've been on that website at, at one time or another for oh, yeah. sure. Yeah.
0: He's amazing. I have so much that's a man with aesthetic, right? Yeah. Like initially you look at the website, like, I don't get it. Yeah. Why does this look this way? And then you yeah. watch his videos and then you meet him and you're mm-hmm. like, Oh this is just this is this is totally your thing. This mm-hmm. is how you want it to look. This is mm-hmm. you know, really thought through. Mm-hmm beautiful ugliness mm. right and i love mm. that i love when people have a really strong aesthetic around what they do mm. even mm. if it's totally against what i would want yeah, yeah, anything to look like yeah. um yeah there's other stuff but I'll, I'll i'll spare you the the randlings okay story. fair um
1: so t- two things i want to want to talk about um based on the, the the conversation we're having right so first of all you strike me as a very analytic guy right you're a sure. person that, f- that f- thinks a lot uh, is that something you always have done is that something you taught yourself where does that come from uh, second of all uh, inspiration you're obviously very excited right. about whatever it is you're doing how how do you find that what motivates you where do you find the inspiration um, is it something you're looking for or something you just have an abundance of
0: uh, I'll start Okay, I'll go back to the beginning analytical it's mm. oh, a good question I think I um, think I think I've changed over the years a lot. I don't think... You know, I, I was a directionless human for the first 23, 4 years of my life, right? When, well, when did you uh, start Square Mile? Uh, square Mile, was, uh, I would have been 28. Was that your first company? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, before coffee, I was just, you know, all over the place. I was always a reader, right? Mm-hmm. I suppose that was it. Like, I, I, worked, I worked in a casino for a while, and I got really into, like, reading about the history of cheating and cards and mm-hmm. like card magic and other yeah. things like that. Um, Did you ever cheat in cards? Poker? Oh, I mean, no, I know how to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not anymore, actually. I'm, I'm a long way from the, the mm-hmm. dexterity of, of dealing seconds or, or bottom dealing. But, um, yeah, like um, people don't play poker with me still because they think I cheat, which I don't because the you know, poker is too much fun to cheat at. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I got, I've always been interested in, in sort of understanding things in a fuller way, which I suppose is is, is an answer to that question. Mm. In terms of inspiration, um, part of me, you know, I've said comes from a bad place, which mm. is I am competitive. Mm. Uh, there's a good Gore Vidal quote, which is every time a friend succeeds, a little piece of me dies. Okay. Um, okay. There's an honesty to it, you know, seeing people like Colin do well. Mm. Is motivating. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. wounds you a little bit. you yeah. know what I mean? Like the, the, a friend's success is slightly wounding, mm-hmm. and there's no point denying you can be excited for them mm-hmm. and happy for them. Yeah. But there's a great truth in that little quote. Um, so I think that you know, I would be annoyed if an opportunity, if I if I if I let an opportunity go that was either then done by someone else really well Mm. or was done badly. Mm. Either one would irritate me, right? Mm. So that's the bit where I keep saying yes. How much time...
1: I'm interrupting you, but interesting again. How much time do you spend uh, reflecting, being pissed, angry, uh, whatever, about opportunities you felt you missed? Are you able to just move on from that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm a terrible reminiscer. I don't really... uh, I have a problem. Okay. Welcome to welcome to my problem is actually the other thing, um, because I like, I believe you know it's uh, doing what I do, which is a weird mix of things, it's it's often difficult to find times to have formal learning again. Mm. Right. So I spent some time working with a with a professional coach mm. and we had an interesting conversation where we discussed motivation for me, right? And my, my, my urge for next, next, new, more, next, mm. you know what I mean? Like mm. this this kind of hunger for next, which is actually hugely problematic because it prevents me enjoying any success. Sure. Right? Like, mm. do I think that I'll find the one project that will satisfy me? Mm. Do I do I think that that exists? Mm. Mm. And if I don't think that there'll be one thing where I'll mm. be like, oh, now I'm done. Mm. Well, am I saying I'm never going to experience satisfaction of any kind? Is mm. that what, how I want to live my life? And the answer is no. No, no, I would like to be able to look back at Square Mile and be pleased by it. I'd like to be able to look at the atlas and be pleased and proud of it and, and just mm. spend a little time mm. enjoying what are. Successes, and I, you yeah. know, I, I can't do that very well. I'm not very good at it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I inevitably, like, I, I ha- I've had a man crush on uh, Donald Glover. Okay. For like six or seven years now. Uh uh-huh. and, like, and this person is Donald Glover is at the time he was an actor in a TV show called Community. And and then he started rapping under Childish Gambino, right, okay. as, as like a little thing. Mm-hmm. But he'd also been like a writer on Thirty Rock. Yeah. And then um, before that, he'd been part of like this comedy thing called Derek Comedy. And then he he blew up as Childish Gambino. Mm. And and then he uh, he does stand up comedy, and he has a TV show called Atlanta that he writes and okay. directs and acts in as well. And mm-hmm. uh, he's now starring as Lando in the new Solo movie. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. and and he's one of those people who are like stop doing everything Mm. everything Mm. right like just these incredibly successful people who Mm. are successful in so many different things Mm. that it would be very inspiring and then I'd have this sort of weird moment of like oh but I've achieved nothing Mm. I've achieved nothing I'm I'm, I'm unable to feel the satisfaction of achievement and and uh, you know people are like oh you don't you know people Mm. comment and I feel like it's a hollow compliment when Mm. they say you've been so successful Mm. and I'm aware that you know Part of that is useful because it's motivating, this drive to do more, right? And sure. I shouldn't lose that. Yeah. But I need to balance that with some mm. enjoyment mm. of what I have achieved, mm. right? Otherwise, you just live a very empty life quite easily, right? Sure. Like. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm not fully... Is tired. there also, a,
1: like the now we're borderline philosophy here, but sure. is there also, to some extent, you being... Uh, a bit scared or afraid of the fact that if you take that in and you get all of those compliments that you can yeah. stop are you afraid that that will actually prevent you from pushing on the way that you a little bit yeah.
0: and I think I, I don't know I, I also I probably hold I I am fearful of being more arrogant than I am because mm-hmm. I see it I, you know to some extent some arrogance is is hardwired into people like me I suppose in an unpleasant way and useful as well right but also extremely unpleasant when out of control or or unchecked yeah so I worry about that because it's again it's you know uh, quite easily devastating to having a productive and happy life is to be you know to believe your own hype is a terrible thing Mm. Uh, but yeah it was a uh, it's funny like um yeah I'm drifting off this topic a little bit but um ask me a question okay so let's
1: um move ahead a bit um we don't have that much time. we're going to be very careful with your time as well sure Uh, because we're a busy guy um more uh, broader perspective, like you, you've been having a lot of presentations, a lot of talks about, you know, just future, especially coffee. Right. Where, we'll, where are we all heading? Yeah. Um, so where, where are we all heading? Where should we be? And where do you want us to be moving? Duh. It's a small question. It? Just
0: a small question. Yeah. Just an easy one to wrap us up. Yeah. Uh, where are we going? Um, we're going back into the past. Yeah. Right? But it's a different iteration. It's It's the past, but but move forwards mm. in a funny sort of sure. way, right? Yeah. So, you, you know, we're going to a world, consolidation, we're going to a world where um, it's less nice interesting, mm. right? Coffee is going to be less interesting sure. soon, yeah. uh, which is good mm. because boredom produces interestingness, right? For sure, That that's a necessary part of the cycle. I think that um, we're going to learn some interesting things about technology and, and, and how... Coffee is a fascinating thing because it's extremely cultural, right? It's like it's yeah. woven into just about every culture in a different way. Mm. And we are going to get to the point where technology allows the easy manufacturing of high-quality drinks, right? So the role of the brewster is absolutely mm. going to change. Sure, I'm probably different from someone like Matt Perger in that I don't see um, this future where we can get rid of people mm. and we can have like a fully automated cafe, and that's a mm. want, right? Like I think that. Culture demands that we interact with coffee a bit more.
1: Yeah, and the, the the service aspect is harder to get rid of than the taste experience, right? So, right. so a robot can make a taste of coffee, sure. But uh, can it serve the coffee in, in a in a good way? Right? And I
0: think we're about to find out where the boundaries are. And yeah. I, I think broadly speaking, everyone's going to be wrong, and we're going to settle up somewhere where we didn't quite expect it to be. Sure, because we're pretty much always bad at predicting things. Mm. It's not going to be as automated as we think, mm. but humans aren't going to be as evolved as we think mm. either. It's going to be like a funny middle ground, I suspect. Mm. Um, I I I am still searching for a better way for us to trade mm. because fundamentally the, the process of buying raw coffee from coffee producers is is built from the ground up to be unfair mm. and, and I think we're a long way away from really undoing any of that mm. and um, I don't I'm, I'm interested in, in how we do that okay I don't want to participate in the system, right? Like participation is a problem. Participation keeps it going, right? The the more that we all agree to buy coffee this way and and the Mm. way that we buy coffee right now, that's bad. So I don't really want to participate in that. But at the same time, I do not want to be another white savior, right? Another, oh, look at me. I, the coffee buyer, will come to your farm. And and as the white man, we will fix everything because we're the best and we know what we're doing, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's... Is this a family show? Can I swear? It is fair. Okay, that's fucked up, right? Yeah. Like that and that happens a lot, right? Like, so a coffee buyers turn up as like, I have the money and I will fix your problems with money, right? right? And you won't because there's just so many layers of fucked mm-hmm. upness mm-hmm. underneath it. And yes, I feel like so we gave up. I feel yeah. like we gave up, right? We were like, let's do direct trade and let's mm. do microlots. Mm. And well we, we maybe
1: we didn't give up, but we basically told ourselves that we succeeded in it, right? So that's even a bit scarier true but i think a lot of people still believe that right we we believe to some extent that there is a you know a, a sustainable circle in trade which it's not no. Most of us don't. No. but you know, there's still a, there's an idea. and What we're communicating to a consumer is also very much that, you know, this is a super happy farmer right. and this is a picture here and we gave him this and this, right?
0: Right. And I think what we realistically did, I, I, like no one's done a study and I wish someone would do a study on social mobility and specialty coffee, mm. right? Did we, did, because I would argue mm. most of the highest priced coffees out there mm. are going to people who started out wealthy. Sure. Right. Like that's because sure, that's the system of capitalism, unfortunately, yep. that allows them yeah, to yeah, do yeah. the things they want to do in the first yeah, place. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, I don't know. And I would like to know, but I don't know if we've made any fundamental changes in social mobility and comfort producers with all the money that we poured in. Mm. Right. Mm. Because it's still the whole system of trade is messed up mm. and it, it feels like such a long time before since anyone was like, what if we tried this? Mm. Right? And direct trade was interesting, right? Mm. Micro arts and paying for quality and mm. encouraging that sort of stuff was interesting, but very quickly people were like, wait, wait, wait. If you just take all of the good stuff and put it in one thing, mm. you drop the quality of the much wider production sure. farm. Yeah. We said, is that good? Yeah. Is there a net I mean how mm. much are you willing to pay for this yeah. thing here for it all to be a better year? Yeah. And and I think we have kind of like, ooh, well I'll just sort of quietly do what everyone else is doing and mm. keep my head down. Mm. And and you know, outside of throwing blockchain at it, I haven't heard anyone really step up and be like, "All right, all right, I've got my idea." Yeah. Right. And I think it's incredibly difficult, and people are very motivated to to try and do better. But I mm. think you know, I have my own opinions about where we need to address the relationships, and mm. I would argue it's about power and risk mm. um, because. Money is one thing, but it's really power and risk, right? Like, mm. the way that we buy coffee gives us all of the power and the least risk, mm. right? And that, that is an endemically unfair trade mm. where we have all power and no risk. Mm. Uh, if you think about risk and, in terms of risk and reward, right? The higher the risk, in theory, the higher the return should be, right? Running a coffee roasting company is medium risk, high reward. Yeah. Farming coffee, high risk, tiny reward. Yeah, right? sure. that, that's The risk is disproportionately allocated, mm. And we have chosen to retain power. Mm. As much as we might tell people, like, I will buy your delicious coffee Mm. Uh, next year, maybe we won't, right? Like, we we have all of the power. And until we're willing to take on risk and share power, there will be no fundamental changes in trade, as I see it. I could be wrong. And I don't know how that really works and pans out, because I need to speak to people smarter than me. But these are Mm. the things I think that we would need to change. Uh, And that's, you know... I'm saying that wait, I, I should have more risk. I would willingly choose to increase my risk without any increased return. Mm. That's a really difficult decision to take. Yeah, for sure. right. That's a you'd argue in the short term yeah. a poor business decision to take. That mm. maybe actually it would have medium term, long term benefit. Mm. But in the short term, where all my focus is, mm. that's hard.
1: Mm. We'll see. And it also feels like a product that is way bigger than just one one company or one person. Of course, right?
0: but I think you have to.
1: Someone is the way.
0: It's leadership, right? Like if you if you forge forward, yeah. the, the the upside of the market is if that produces some level of advantage, it will be copied. Mm. And I'm really interested in in leveraging copying to a greater good. Mm. I'm really interested outside of coffee. I want to start a business where success is that it is obsolete. Mm. I feel like charities are a good example, right? The goal of a charity should be to not exist as quickly as possible, mm. right? Like sure. if your charity is about uh, water, mm. your goal should be everyone has access to water and then we just, we all are out of a job. Yeah, It's not how charities work. You know what I mean? Like they, they want their salaries, they want to perpetuate, right? Yeah. But if the goal was let's be obsolete, mm. that's interesting mm. is if you can produce the effect that you want to produce. Mm. So that's, that's kind of a little pet project for me and, and something I want to do outside of coffee because I'm interested in that I'll, there'll be more if it, if it works out I'll tell you more about it
1: amazing I think we uh, well we should wrap up because mm. we're exactly 60 minutes that's the time we have with you which Beautiful is amazing team. thank you for your time and thank yeah you. let's let's have a session two on this right. there's a lot more we can discuss than we haven't discussed yet for sure it should be interesting cool thank you very much thank you from us here at April thank you for listening If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family and colleagues. Thank you.